This is recording number 11051 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, May 19, 2013. This is the first message in a series titled, His. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Strength and Your Weakness. start a new series of messages today. Uh, I intend for to do this for about six weeks, but you never know. And I cannot figure out a good way to describe this. I just felt impressed to deal with some things, some issues that have to do, that, that begin with His. And so today we're going to talk about His strength in your weakness. How many of you are feeling really strong and on top of everything today? <laughs> that was timely <laughs> alright then I'm speaking to the right crowd um, we're going to find out as we look at an, uh, an illustration from the Apostle Paul's life somebody I greatly admire many of you do too someone who always seems to be just so strong in faith and so mightily used by God in the scriptures and yet we're going to encounter today a time when he found himself very weak but how God demonstrated that his desire and his plan and his purpose in, in those times of weakness is to demonstrate his strength. Let's start reading at verse 1, chapter 12, 2 Corinthians. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. And the reason he's saying that is because in the section that precedes it, he's been uh, answering questions about his uh, authority as an apostle by describing the, the, um, the things that validate his apostleship. He talks about how he has traveled the world and preached the gospel and as a result been uh, persecuted in many ways, beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, all this stuff. And he wants to make it clear that he's not boasting and he's not trying to um, you know, set himself up as someone great just to say, look, I know what I'm talking about. I've put it all on the line for Jesus, and here is the evidence of that. So, but he, but he begins chapter 12 by saying, it's kind of stupid to boast in this sort of thing. So it's doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. So now he's going to switch subjects, but it's still in the same line of thinking. So he's saying, look, I've been through all this persecution and all of this stuff, and that's a, a, a way of validating my, my apostleship. But now I want to talk to you a little bit about revelations, things that God has shown me, things that I've experienced in the Spirit. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, and by the way, he's referring to himself. I know a man in Christ for, who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or whether out of the body, I don't know, God knows. He's saying, look, what I'm going to try to explain to you is very difficult. I don't know if I was physically there or just there in the spirit. Only God knows. But he says, such a one, he's talking to him about himself, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Don't even ask me what that is. I have no idea. 
Nobody does. And I know such a one, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. He, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words. Wow, that, words that can't be expressed. That's a, an oxymoron. I, I was, he's, he's saying, I was caught up into paradise and I heard inexpressible words which it's not lawful for me to utter. He's trying to say, I, I have had experiences with God that are, are so deep and so, uh, so spiritual. I don't even know how to describe them to you. I don't even know what to say. I can't say. And he's not alone in this. The Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation in the back of the Bible, uh, he, he had a similar experience. You see, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. He was imprisoned there. And um, he had this revelation from God where God was giving him vision or, or insight, ways of seeing into the eternal realm. And he was describing things like the throne room of God and, uh, and things that were going to take place in the, in the um, future. And how would you have liked to have had that assignment? Where you, you're, you're seeing things you can't even really understand or comprehend or wrap your mind around and try to figure out how to say that in words that someone else might be able to grasp. It was an, and that's why a lot of times when you read the book of Revelations, it's like, What? But he said, he, it, there was one point when he's having this revelation and there, he, he, there's a, an angel that's sort of escorting him through these, these visions and he gets ready to put pen to paper and try to write what he's saying and the angel says, no, don't, don't even try. <laughs> don't, don't write that. And so Paul is communicating something like that. He says, I don't, need, I don't know how to explain this. I don't know if I was there in, in body or just in, in spirit. But I had this incredible experience with the Lord. This deep spiritual revelation. I don't even know how to explain to you. Verse 5. Of such a one I will boast. Yet of myself I will not boast. Except in my infirmities. That's an interesting comment. But one I want you to note. He says I'm not going to boast in myself. I'm not going to boast in my experiences. I will boast in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. You know, you, you have a pretty, if you have a potent experience with God, it's kind of tempting to want to trumpet that, to want to go on the road with it, you know? And, and we see this, sadly, a lot of times. You know, uh, we have these conferences and speakers get up to tell us about the great revelation they've had from God. Yeah? And, I, and don't, don't hear me critical of that or ridiculing that. I'm just saying there can be temptation to be kind of puffed up with pride. You know, look what God showed me. Look at the experience I've had with God. And Paul says, I'm not going there. I'm just not going there. And, and just sort of make it uh, a little bit easier for me not to go there. It says, 
I was given a thorn in the flesh. Now, it's interesting that he says uh, it was a gift. It was given to me. Now, he's going to go on and tell us the source of this thorn in the flesh. But looking back now on it, from, with hindsight, he's saying, I understand that this was not from God. God didn't do this to me. But in the end, it became a gift to me. So hang with me as we make our way through this. A thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Some of you right now are dealing with stuff. You may not have called it a thorn in the flesh, but it's something very difficult and challenging in your life. And you have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And it's still there. Still challenging you. Still piercing you. The Apostle Paul knows about that. And even though he says here that he prayed three times in the scriptures when you encounter that word three in this sort of a setting, it's often just a description of I prayed a lot or I did it again and again and again. And he said to me, Jesus said to me, he says, verse 9, because I prayed, I prayed, Lord, take this thing away from me. Verse 9, and he, Jesus said to me, it's in red ink in my Bible because I have a red letter edition. That means Jesus is speaking. Jesus speaks to him. Now remember, Jesus is all, has ascended to heaven. Jesus isn't uh, uh, physically there with the Apostle Paul, but he speaks into those circumstances speaks into Paul's heart and mind and says these things, my grace is sufficient for you. There's going to be two things he says, but don't get past this first one too quickly. My grace is sufficient for you. And then he says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now Paul's speaking again, therefore... Because that's so. Because Jesus spoke to me and said his grace is sufficient for me. And his strength is made perfect in my weakness. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. What kind of a strange guy is this? Glutton for punishment? You know, I don't know. But he qualifies it. He says, I, I, I take pleasure in all these things that I suffer for Christ's sake. Look, there's, su there's some stuff that we bring on ourselves, right? I mean, if you're, if you're a smoker today, please don't take offense of this because we all have stuff, right? But I mean, if you, if you choose to, to smoke like a chimney for your whole life and end up with lung cancer, we don't get to blame God for that, Right? So he's saying, the stuff that I encounter for the sake of Christ, infirmities, reproaches, needs, persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake, when I am weak, then I am strong. We're going to make our way back through those verses a, a little bit at a time here and talk, talk about his strength in your weakness. Because if you haven't already or aren't in the middle of one right now, there will be a time in your life, I can guarantee it, if you're a follower of Christ, well, you, are, you will experience a thorn in the flesh. Now Paul, uh, when he uses this word thorn, sometimes 
in our culture or in our circumstances, we would think of it as something rather annoying but small. Like the other day I went to Costco and bought, a, uh, bought some roses for Sue. I, I, they, they, they weren't from me. I was buying them on behalf of my father-in-law. So, sue me. No, anyway. It's a, uh, so I got to the, to the checkout and, you know, they, they have these things that strip off the thorns from the stems of roses that you buy from a florist. You ever seen them do that? Uh, but I guess they missed one. So I handed it to the guy at the checkout and he caught himself, cut his finger a little bit. He wasn't going to die from it, you know, but it was momentarily painful. And we kind of think sometimes when, when we hear a word like this or maybe you've read this passage before or have heard somebody talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh... And we tend to think of that kind of thing. Annoying, troublesome, but, you know, it's not the end of the world. But really, the Greek word here that's translated thorn is stake. And I don't mean like, you know, prime rib. I mean, I mean a stake. A long stick with a pointed end on it. Something that's going to do some serious damage. Paul says, I have received a thorn in the flesh. So we know it's significant. We know that it's something pretty, uh, pretty serious. And we know it was persistent because he prayed again and again and again. And it still hung in there. Now what we don't know is exactly the nature of this thorn in the flesh. One old uh, Scottish Bible commentator wrote that he thought it was uh, Paul's wife. <laughs> now, from, from all we know, Paul wasn't married. So that would be... A little difficult, but uh, really your guess is as good as anyone else's because we simply don't know. Some people postulate that he's describing the persecution that he faced because he did. Uh, he, was, he was left for dead having been beaten, stoned. He was shipwrecked, all, the, all these things. The, the guy suffered persecution everywhere he went for the preaching of the gospel. That could be what he's referring to, my thorn in the flesh. But it's really your guess is as good as anyone's. Right now, though, I'm going to tell you what mine is. And it's not, it didn't start with me. I didn't come up with it. But it's what I'm most comfortable with. And the only reason I'm going to do this is because I want for us to have a common picture in our mind as we make our way through, through this. Does that make sense? I want us to be able to picture Paul in the same way altogether. All right? But just know going... In that I don't have any claim to fame here. I don't, I, you know, this is not, I can't uh, say for certain that this is true. But it is interesting that Paul twice in the passage we read refers to this thorn in the flesh as, a, as infirmities. Infirmity. Now, you know, that doesn't mean it was a sickness, but it sure lends some, some credence to that hypothesis. And I think that he was referring to an eye condition, an eye disease. And the reason I do is primarily because of Galatians 4 where I asked you to turn and mark a spot. So Galatians 4, I'm going to read verses 13 through 15. Now Galatia was a region, a large region. This is the only book in the Bible, or only uh, letter of Paul's that was addressed to the churches in a region rather than to a specific church. And uh, so there's a lot of churches that are, are being addressed in this passage. But he's saying some interesting things here. In verse 13, you know that because of physical infirmity. There's that word again. 
You know that because of physical infirmity I preached the gospel to you at the, at the first. In other words, that there must have some, been some kind of sickness that caused him to be in these, or, or linger in these cities of Galatia. And oh, by the way, let me tell you about Jesus while I'm dealing with this. And people came to Christ and churches were established. You know that because of physical infirmity I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject. So they had a potential of rejecting him on the basis of this trial, on the basis of this infirmity. It must have been something that was disfiguring in some way or something hard to look at. Or, and if you've ever been around you know, people who are sick or been sick yourself, uh, it's not a pretty picture, right? And so it must have been something that was substantial enough and, and physically apparent enough that they could have rejected him on the basis of it. Uh, it says, In my trial which is in my flesh you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And I think that's an odd statement unless it was... This thing that he had had to do with his eyes in some way. And I am no uh, specialist. I, so, you know, I can't uh, claim um, first-hand knowledge of this. But I am told and have read that in that region of Galatia, there was a, uh, or there even today is uh, a, um, uh, a, a, sickness, a disease of the eye that people get that uh, has, um, you know, um, what do you call it, a... Stuff discharges. There you go. There's the word. Uh, you know that f pus and whatever comes out your eyes, and it's not a pretty picture. Not so not something to that you'd want to want to look at. And so Paul is describing, I think, something like that that he experienced when he was in Galatia, and at the very end of his book, in in uh, chapter six. So just flip over a page or two there. In verse eleven. He's signing off, he's concluding his letter to the Galatians, and he says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. And so it's highly likely to me that he was experiencing something that had to do with his eyes, and even when he was writing this letter to them, which would have been some, some significant time letter, or some significant time later, it's possible that he adds that because the letter was being dictated or written by another one's hand at his dictation and then he chose to write in his own hand and, and used large letters because of how it was affecting his vision. All that's only a possibility. But I want for you to have that imagery in your mind because whether it was specifically that or not, the impact was still the same. He was being challenged in a significant way for his faith. And it may not be sickness for you. It might be your wife. I don't know. It might be your husband. It might be your finances. It might be your job. I don't know. But I know that most of us here can empathize with being challenged with something that doesn't want, that's, that's, Deeply rooted, doesn't want to give up, doesn't want to go away, and just keeps hanging in there, and it's demoralizing, and it creates a sense of weakness in the face of it. You can't get past it, you can't get over it. Paul understood that, but so did Jesus. Jesus was facing a stake in the form of a cross, 
In the garden, how many times did he pray? Three times. Take this away. God, if it's possible, take this away. Father, if it's possible, take this away. And he, under, he came to understand, although that prayer was out of his humanity, because he was completely human as well as completely divine, it lets us in on the sense, on the, on the truth that Jesus can empathize with us too. None of us will ever face anything of that magnitude, but you get, you get the point. We may experience a thorn in the flesh. You may be right now. Because true faith is always challenged. Dear one, if you have a genuine, sincere faith in Christ, <laughs> I hope this isn't news to you. I hope I'm not bursting your bubble, but <laughs> you are going to be, your faith is going to be challenged. There's too much at stake for the kingdom of darkness. You represent a severe threat to what the enemy wants to be doing in messing up this world and continuing to mess up people's lives. You are a threat to that. And so he's going to do everything he can to try to disrupt your ability to represent Jesus in this world. He's going to throw everything that he can at you. And don't be surprised by that. But do note the source. Paul, when he's describing this, I mentioned it earlier, he said it was a messenger from Satan. I've heard Christians say stuff like this, what I'm about to tell you before. And in fact, I've probably said these things too. But it's not true. Here's what people will say sometimes. Oh, God made me sick so I would learn this. Or God allowed this to happen. To me, or God did this to me so that I would be stronger. Or whatever. Some, the thing that I, I really hate to hear, and please don't take offense if you've, if you've said this, because again, like I've said, I probably have too. When they say, they say everything has a purpose. And what they mean is that even the rotten stuff that they're going through, God is somehow working something good through it. Now, you're going to find out that, what, that there is truth in that. That God is going to, we're gonna, before we're done today, you're going to hear me say, God wants to take the crappy stuff that this, uh, this world and hell slings at us and use it to bring victory in our lives. But he's not the author of it. And that's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. So if you're dealing with something like this, uh, a thorn in the flesh today, know this. It's not from God. And note the strategy. Note the source and note the strategy. I've already said you are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. The enemy is going to throw everything that he can at you. Paul says that this messenger from Satan was to buffet me. And that's exactly what that word buffet in the Greek means. A fist to the gut. Now get it. Paul has just had this incredible vision. These visions from God. He's caught up into something called the third heaven. He's seeing things that are so spectacular. So wonderful. He can't even figure out how to describe them. And... He turns from that and boom, a punch to the gut intended to knock the spiritual wind out of his sails. You've had this experience. You've been in a place or experienced something of God's moving in, in, in a powerful way. And then it seems like out of nowhere, from your blind side, where you're not looking, boom, 
Well, the enemy's not stupid, right? He is going to do everything he can to catch you off guard, to catch you when you're not looking, and to lay a punch that's going to knock you out. And that's what happens here with the Apostle Paul. Note the strategy and uh, note the source and note the strategy. And also note that though not authored by God, these things are allowed by God for his ultimate purposes. That's why Paul says this was given to me. In hindsight, as he looks back on it, he realizes this was a gift from God, though not sourced in God. You hear that understanding? You make that distinction? But then he hears the Lord say, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. Now sometimes people will hear that and they'll think this way. They'll think, oh, well, God is just saying something like this. Yeah, it's lousy, but suck it up. You get to go to heaven. My grace is sufficient. What are you complaining about? This is temporary. But that, that's not what's being said here. In fact, the word for sufficient here means enough. It means that it's enough in every way. My grace is sufficient in every way. It's all you could ever need, no matter what the circumstance. It's bigger than anything you could ever face. God was saying to Paul, Paul, this is nothing compared to my grace. My gr the, the magnitude of my unmerited favor towards you, which is gr what grace is, is bigger than this thorn. So that's a starting place. And then... He says to him, my strength, my power is made manifest in your weakness. I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> but I know it's true. I know that most of the time when I am trying to demonstrate how strong I am, when I am trying to, to uh, you know, stare down my enemy and the strength of my own resources of, of uh, I don't know, kind of a false faith sometimes. You know, my brava spiritual bravado, my... Uh, anyway, whatever, it doesn't measure up in any sense to the power of God. And God is not never going to fight for prominence. So if I'm out there trying to, you know take on the enemy in, the, in my strength and in my wisdom and in my power, God is kind of going to need to just step back. Now when I'm all done <laughs> and I've ex exhausted all my stuff, which doesn't take long, and I'm there crying out to God, God, please rescue me, please save me, that's when the strength of God is demonstrated. God's power is most fully on display when I'm at my weakest point. My grace is sufficient and my power is on display when you're at your weakest. But that means that God can turn a thorn in the flesh into a victory in the spirit. And I want us to close by taking a look at how that works out in Paul's life. 
Number one, he's already told us in the passage that we read that a pitfall of pride was avoided. Can you imagine how uh, the New Testament, the, you know, because a lot of, of the books in the New Testament were penned by him, and a lot of the story of the book of Acts is about his life and ministry. Can you imagine how different this book would have been if Paul had allowed himself to be puffed up with pride? And how damaging that would have been to his testimony. How silencing it would have been to the word of God to be able to be being dispensed through his life. A pitfall of pride was avoided. And that's why he looks back on it with, and says, boy, it was a gift to me. I can boast in it. It was a gift from God to me. So a pitfall of pride was avoided. But also, he says, he says that a power was resting upon me. So it says, um, I, in verse 9, Therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power, that word is, you've probably heard it before in the Greek, it's dynamis or dunamis, however you want to pronounce it. Dynamite, we get an English word from it. So the power of God, uh, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The, re the word rest upon means to overshadow so that I become overshadowed by the power of God. I become less and less. The power of God becomes more and more on display as a result of this. Now, I'm going to ask you to look at one other passage of Scripture. We're in the, we're in the home stretch now. Don't panic. Acts chapter 14. Now, if it's true what I was saying to you before, that this thorn in the flesh had to do with the infirmity that Paul was dealing with in Galatia. Then what we're going to read about in this passage in Acts chapter 14 is the direct result of the power that was unleashed. The, the power of Christ that was unleashed because Paul was willing to go through this. Because we're going to read about some things that happened at a city called Iconium and a city called Lystra, and they were both in Galatia. And those churches were started because Paul was sick in those places and had to hang out there for a while, and while he was dealing with whatever this was, he was preaching the gospel. Verse, 14, or verse 1 of chapter 14, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews. This is Luke reporting about Paul. So he says, now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and spoke, so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. So there's a great multitude of Jews and Greeks alike that are saved because of Paul's preaching there. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So not only was there fruitful, bold declaration of the gospel that was taking place, but there was also signs and wonders that accompanied that preaching of the gospel. And then in verse 8, And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, <clears throat> Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. These are some of the results of God's power being 
demonstrated through Paul's weakness. I'd like that. I would like that the things that the enemy tries to sucker punch me with would be so upended that the result would be that the gospel is proclaimed and people get saved. That people get healed. That signs and wonders are done. I would like to, t instead of sitting there stewing and moaning and groaning and whining about what I'm facing, that I could understand that God's grace is sufficient for me and that his strength is made perfect in my weakness because then whatever it is that I'm dealing with or whatever the thorn of the flesh is becomes a non-issue. Can you imagine how that must frustrate the devil? Yeah. He throws the best thing he's got at you and it doesn't register. It's a non-issue. Yes. And it's like you stand there and say, is that all you got? Is that the best you got? Oh, I want that to be true in my life. I hope you do too. Now look, it's, it's a difficult thing because we believe... We, we, I was talking to one of the guys, uh, Noli Perez, I was talking to him the, earlier in the week because his mother is dealing with a, uh, a cancer and it's a serious thing and she's not doing well and we were just talking about how it's hard for us, who, those of us who believe in divine healing and a God who works miracles to know how to, how to reconcile these two things. That there are times when God wants to uh, eliminate the, the problem. And he doesn't. All, many of us here today could testify how God has miraculously moved powerfully to free us from uh, physical sickness, financial trauma, whatever it is. This room is full of testimonies like that. But there are times when we are suffering for Christ and it's God's intention for us to make it as a non-issue. And there's really greater victory in that if you think about it. You know, when, when, the, when the devil, many, many of you know the story of Job and I don't want to get off onto that, but there's a whole book in the Bible that is uh, underutilized called the book of Job. This guy, Job, was a righteous man. And the, the devil came before God and said, I, you know, that guy, he's bugging me. He's righteous. But you know what? He's only living a righteous life because you pamper him. You protect him. He nothing goes wrong. Everything goes right for him. If you let me at him, I can change that. And so the devil, I mean, so the Lord with some restraint upon what he could do and couldn't do allowed for the enemy to go after Job. But one of the most powerful verses in all the Bible is found in Job. When Job has suffered the loss of everything, everything he owns, his family, his health, he's lost everything. In the end he says, I have heard you with the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes see you. How that must have got to the devil, right? I mean... He threw the best that he had at him. And the Lord turned that upside down in victory. In the book of Romans chapter 8 it says that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. You know. When, I, I've said this to you before but anyway. When Sue and I uh, were dealing with her cancer. 
and she went in for surgery uh, back in February. We both, it's a hard thing to describe because we were contending for miracles. We were, we were believing God for a miraculous healing but also completely at peace that if this uh, healing did not occur, God would still be glorified. We were still going to trust him. That's, one, that's another thing that Job said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And when you take, when you take that um, out of the arsenal of the enemy, what does he have left? What does he have left to manipulate us with? Nothing. And that's why, that's why Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient.